Hello and welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. I'm your host, Joey. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you're probably wondering where Tiora is. Now, it is the Jungle Brothers podcast, so obviously that's Paul, Tiora and myself. T moved up north to northern New South Wales around four months ago. So since then, he hasn't been able to get back on the show. He's been trying to get the dust settled on, the, on relocating his family up there, on securing a new location for his gym and just generally finding his feet in the area. But I wanted to let you know, we will have him back on the show soon. Paul is obviously still around. He's not with me on today's episode, but he has been here for the most part. So I just wanted to give you that little bit of context. Tiora's move up there is very much a part of our expansion. And this is really um, our the next chapter of Jungle Brothers, which is the Jungle Alliance. Now, I won't go too deep into that now, uh, but if you have listened to some of our previous episodes, we do spill the beans on it a little bit. It's very exciting. It is us venturing into the next chapter of our conquest to change the culture of small gyms around the globe and to help foster more passionate young coaches and aspiring gym owners to go and lead fitness communities in a similar way to what we have. So more on that to come. Today's guest, we have Rodin Dubois, who's joining us for the second time. Last time he was with us was episode 84, which was back in November last year. And that episode was all about building muscle. So it was all about the training guidelines and nutritional guidelines that you need to follow in order to build muscle. Now, today's episode was, I had a plan for it to be sort of like a second chapter to that. So I did plan to go into some of those same basics again, uh, but we actually didn't really get a chance to go into it. Now, if that's what you're here for, make sure you go and listen to episode 84 because it's all laid out there. In today's episode, we really did end up sticking on the topic of steroid use and the culture of performance enhancement to a larger extent than I had initially planned. I did want to go into it a bit because I find it very fascinating and I think it's extremely relevant this day and age. But Rawdon was on a roll and so I thought, well, better better than to cut him off and pull him back to whatever my initial agenda was. If there's a specialist who's on the show and they've got something they're passionate about and they want to talk, I want to let them talk. So we really had a wide-ranging chat around steroid use uh, Rawdon was talking about it within the gym culture, within sports. And I think what's quite interesting is that he can offer a different perspective on steroids and performance enhancement, largely because he's had a lot of experience with it himself and also working with people who are using performance enhancement. Now, Rawdon is one of the top physique prep coaches in the country. So that means he helps bodybuilders and fitness athletes or physique competitors get ready to go up on stage and look the way they do. And performance enhancement is a huge part of that sport. Now, similarly, performance enhancement is a huge part of all sports. And it's also a part of gym culture, though it's something that most of us don't know much about, myself included. So I found it really fascinating to go into it. I think Rawdon has quite a unique perspective on it that would be different to what most of you would be thinking about such substances. he really makes the point, and, and I really want to want to push this home, that he is by no means an authority on any of these things. He is not recommending the use of any such substances. It's really just a conversation about it, and it's all his interpretation of what he's read, the doctors and the people he's spoken to, and his own personal experience. He is currently on TRT, which is testosterone replacement therapy, which is a, a medically administered use of testosterone. So... Um, very interesting perspectives. I hope that you gain some clarity around this part, this kind of unique, interesting, 
and um, strange part of the gym culture. As always, if you do like the show, please help to support it. It helps us to get more awesome guests like Rawdon on. So share it with a friend. If you do enjoy it, pass it on to someone who you think might like it. If you need any help with your training, we're here to help. You can get in touch with us at junglebrothers.com. We have online classes going every day through Zoom. And we also have our online program for those people who perhaps don't like engaging with the Zoom thing as much. And of course, today we're drinking the coffee from Panavore, which is our sponsor, the Cafe in Pagewood. They do amazing sandwiches and amazing coffee. So make sure you check them out. We're jumping into the chat. This is a rolling start. So we're picking up the chat. Rawdon is making a point about a study that he read. Uh, and so we'll take it from there. I hope you enjoy the show. Statistically, I think that, yeah, like if men, men were more susceptible to getting the flu compared to females and it was, I think, in, uh, in this particular study, it was because we had higher testosterone. So those that were on cycle, there was a, a bit of when COVID hit, it was like, oh, my God, do we come off cycle? Do we, you know, do we bump up the testosterone? Do we change compounds? What will give us the best? um you know immune system but i think it was yeah you're at a disadvantage if you have super physiological levels of uh, androgens in the system but but maybe that was sort of high normal and then when you go super physiological maybe there were benefits i don't know but i haven't heard of bodybuilders dropping dead um with any regularity uh the ones that are juiced to the gills anyway so i touch wood um, for those that are using you know, we're going to weather the storm of, uh, of COVID-19 and pandemic life. But, um, but yeah, just a side note, sorry, distracted. Not at all. Do you think that, um, for someone who's using steroids and, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask a lot of questions kind of from a very intentionally naive perspective, because most of people listening to this podcast won't have, you know, won't know a huge amount about it. Um, would, would someone who's using steroids or performance enhancement like that, already have a little bit of a lowered uh, sense of self-preservation with that because they're like, well, I'm going for glory right now and I'm not really too concerned about what's happening in the future. Or is that a bit of a myth that people who don't know much about steroids have in their mind? Uh, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't think that, that, you know, those that are choosing to, um, to use uh, enhancement are necessarily reckless and, and, and not aware of, of long-term health uh, and, and longevity. However, I think that um, some thought needs to be given to long-term health and longevity. Um, if you are choosing to use um, performance enhancing supplementation, be it anabolic steroids or, you know, there's a slew of other compounds and ancillaries you could use that, that, that fall under performance enhancing drugs. But, um, you know, I think that, um, doing some eye dotting and T's crossing and just being aware that, that there's always a, um, a cost to pay. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what, what we do that we just need to weigh up whether the cost is, is uh, worth the, the reward or the end goal that we're pursuing. And for someone that is, um, I think for whatever reason motivated to change their body composition to a point and they have, um, you know, genetically, uh, push their limits uh, naturally and they still for whatever reason and we could argue what their reason and rationale is is 
is legitimate um, or, or not, that's your opinion. You know, if in their mind there is something that they have set out to do and that that's, that's a priority for them in their life, who's to say that that's not the right motive for them to pursue what they um, want to pursue, and that is to further uh, change their body composition to increase their lean muscle mass or, or improve conditioning or whatever it is, you know, that's their choice. They're an adult now. We could get the nuances with what's well, illegal and all that type of stuff, but but that's a separate discussion. Let's assume that we're talking about individuals that are in parts of the world, like the UK, where recreationally you can actually use these compounds. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think then that that yeah, there's always a cost to pay, and um, even even with testosterone therapy and anti aging, if you think about it, they're not necessarily life extending; they're quality of life preserving. So you may well um, not be on this planet as long as someone who does not uh, endeavor to, um, you know, supplement uh, anti-aging protocols as they age, but we could have put a fair argument forward to the quality of life would be far greater if, you know, at that point in time when testosterone levels are inherently declining, growth hormone levels are declining, quality of life is declining, and you're spending the last, you know, 15 years uh, pretty much immobile or, you know, in a, in a nursing home as opposed to, okay, you get 15 years, but you get another, you know, five years, but you are, you know, still doing everything you want to do. You have a, you know, you have uh, lots of energy. You got a, a lot of uh, lean muscle mass still. You could do all the things that you have been doing and wanting to do maybe that you didn't get around to earlier in your life. So, um, yeah, it depends how, how you look at it and, and, um, you know, that's from the perspective of, you know, as we age, we actually designed to get smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, you look at old people, you know, you start small, you get big, you get small. And that is, you know, the the hormones will change, you know, di- testosterone will convert more to dihydrotestosterone, which gives you more bang for your buck. Um, and you will sort of um, exist for longer in that state, but the quality, you know, might not be there. So by design, that's supposed to, you know, that's the evolution of, you know, of, of life type thing. But if you're increasing your lean muscle mass, then that's more stress on bones, connective tissue, you know, heart, um, you know, heart function, um, it demands on tendons and all these types of things. So it's a bit more wear and tear, you know, maintaining a, a bigger uh, uh, muscle mass into it, even though it's more, arguably more functional, um, you know, it's still a, uh, a stress on the, the organism as a whole. So it makes sense that you wear out a little bit sooner, you know, cause you're working a little bit harder. You're still doing all the things that you're, you're, you're not sitting in a, in a, uh, a wheelchair in a nursing home. So clearly you're out and about kicking goals and, you know, training the house down and you're picking up chicks at, at uh, you know, nightclubs and all that type of stuff in your seventies and eighties. If that's your thing, I'm not saying it is, but if that's your thing and you know, that takes its toll, you know, you, you, you might, you might die doing something in the bedroom, but at least you'd probably, we could argue die happy. But so, yeah, I guess an awareness of, of there is consequences and, you know, there is, I guess, you know, as bad as it sounds a right or wrong way to do it. Um, but again, it depends on, you know, the, it's the individual's choice to do it. But if they are an awareness that um, there is a cost to pay and, you know, monitoring blood work and, um, you know, uh, checking blood pressure regularly, for example, uh, checking heart rate, checking cholesterol values, getting your um, 
uh, heart check through a cardiologist regularly, um, you know, calcium score on the heart to make sure there's no plaque and, you know, some basic fundamentals that you would do ongoing if you were choosing to go down that route would be highly recommended. But I think a lot don't do that. Like I'm on testosterone therapy um, and have been for a few years, so I get treated through a, um, a, a healthcare professional and, um, yeah, we run blood work every, every six months and, you know, they check things like my estrogen levels. They check things like liver, they check PSA, so prostate, prostate specific antigen, um, and, you know, uh, kidney function, these types of things, just to make sure everything is in check. So yeah, there's a sort of responsible way to do it and then an irresponsible way to do it. But either way, it's it's still ultimately the individual's choice, and I respect that. Like I don't I don't judge or if that's your thing and that's what you want to do. I mean, you know, we could argue, you know, people go and spend tons of money on alcohol and recreational drugs on the weekend, and that's okay. You know, like cokehead, you know, you always get off your head. But when someone you know wants to improve their lean muscle mass because they're motivated to change their physique, you know, it's, they're an outcast. Oh, you're a steroid user. You know, it's Oh, that's you know that's so bad, and everybody yeah, are going to kill you. And yeah, I would argue that you know on testosterone therapy, your health is probably better than than low testosterone. There's there's tons of research to actually back that up as well, albeit not super physiological levels, but but still replacement therapy levels uh, of testosterone would be far healthier than than low levels. Is there due to the legalities of like the restrictions that are on um, steroids and whatnot? Um, and in a moment, I, I should get you to give a bit of breakdown of the different sort of compounds, just like like a dummy's guide for us. Um, but yeah. in terms of like, obviously, it's 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 illegal to use it in Australia. I'm guessing unless you have it like through a healthcare professional, such as what you're doing. Yeah. Do, does that does the nature of the um, the legal side of it does that make it hard to access? good quality information? Yeah, like it, it, it uh, definitely, yeah. Like a lot of it, you got to look online um, or, or consult with those that have a lot of experience. And there are lots of people around the world that you can, you can um, even, even healthcare professionals that are overseas that can do consults. And um, I think they might even be able to prescribe um, legally, you know, send your scripts and whatnot. But yeah, the information is, um, and certainly from, uh, and not a testosterone therapy perspective, like if you're recreationally using them and trying to build muscle, like for example, um, you know, I need, I need um, needles and, and um, uh, to administer the testosterone that I get. I mean, you get these, these bread ejects that these uh, from the pharmacy basically on prescription and, and they, the size of the needle is, it's like a, um, it's like a harpoon, you know, like you're seeing the Moby Dick, that, that big cannon on the front, it's, it's like that. And it's ginormous. So it's a really big gauge, uh, needle that, that you're supposed to do it with. And I'm not using that. So I go to the needle exchange and, uh, so I, well, I pay my taxes, you know, junkies get, I'm sorry, I know it's not the right term, but, uh, you know, users will go and get, um, you know, various, um, things that they need to, to, you know, uh, keep, uh, hygienic when they're recreationally using drugs type thing. So I, you know, go on in and they actually have steroid packs in there. They give you a little pack with uh, suitably smaller, um, less intrusive, uh, needles. So, you know, when you stick it in your butt, uh, so to speak, it's, um, you don't leak 
10 feet of the air with, it, with a screen type thing. And I know I'm being a bit of a pansy there for anyone that, that does actually use testosterone therapy. But but the point is, the point I'm making is, you know, when you go in there, they they often have like a question out there, like, oh, oh, you, you, uh, their eyes light up. And it's like, oh, you're, you're a steroid user. I said, testosterone therapy, yes. Um, oh, could you um, answer a few questions? Um, you know, here's, here's a questionnaire. Can you log on here? And so they're always trying to get information so they can educate, I think, those that are less experienced and, um, and, and don't really know the, the rights, um, protocols and, and just the basic hygiene of, you know, not, not sharing, um, needles or reusing noodles and, and, um, just hygienically administering the compounds, uh, uh, even things that they're not, um, you know, a lot of, uh, younger, less experienced, um, users might not have the, uh, the knowledge around, although that said, most are pretty savvy, but still they seem to be always uh, interested in, in, in learning about, you know, what steroid users are, are doing, I suppose. Not that I can give them a ton of information because, you know, my situation is a testosterone therapy situation. However, you know, I do um, liaise with, with various individuals that, that do use and and um, have experience with, you know, athletes that, that, that are uh, involved with, with taking uh, those compounds. So I can sort of offer some some of my, um, what I've seen and heard type thing, my, my, my experiences. But, but yeah, they seem to, um, to be trained to, to learn about all that type of stuff. So that, because there's, it's, it's the type of thing that, that there is no, you can't buy a book. Necessarily. I mean, there are books on it, but it's they're they've been utilized for um, not what they're designed for. You know, like for example, oxandrolone or um, the Anavar you might've heard of as an oral compound that, you know, I think was originally for uh, bone growth and, um, and burn uh, uh, victims. So, uh, you know, when someone is uh, seriously burnt, you know, they can be very effective for treating that situation in a, I mean, these drugs are designed for medical uses outside of testosterone therapy. Um, like some anabolic androgenic steroids, and we'll go through the different um, description, they're not testosterone, so you don't actually, you wouldn't actually use them to actually suppress your endogenous testosterone. So it would be a, a lousy compound to actually use to use as a testosterone replacement therapy. So there are medical therapeutic, actual legitimate uses of these compounds. Some of them, you know, originally were designed for treating anemia, for example, you know, increasing um, iron levels. So, yeah, it's you're using them for uh, reasons to build muscle and you know, enhance recovery and training capacity and all these types of things, but they're not necessarily what they're designed. They're a, a, a side effect of the compounds that are, is very favorable. So it's hard to open a book up and, and find out and build muscle um, using these compounds and, you know, what are the side effects and all those types of things with um, definitive uh, information because they're not designed to, to be used for, for those purposes. So, yeah, you are forced to talk to people and, and, and read things, but then, you know, how do you know what you're reading online is, is good information. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a murky, uh, world out there and, and, uh, the information can be, uh, tricky to source. Definitely. Did you ever have any experience with the, um, like the, 
the the common sort of gym bro style of of using those drugs like you hear about it from some other guy at the gym and he shows you some shit that he's taking and then he's like mate give it a go and then like did you ever come did you ever have experience in yeah. that realm yeah look i did um back in the day like um you know many many years ago i, I had used used um like that and my original you know conversation was with uh, but back to I'm, I'm 46 years years old you know back in the day it was it was just those if you can imagine the the, the 90s so the big the big parachute pants the the, the low-cut big sort of t-shirts um, high top boots. I mean, these are the guys, yeah, bum bag. They were the guys that were using anabolics. You know, it wasn't, you know, average Joe taking, I'm not saying you did Joey, but the average Joe, uh, going to a festival, um, or, or CrossFitter that's, you know, not throwing CrossFitters under the bus specifically, or, or just the oh, gym yeah. rat that, that, um, that it's really, really common these days and everyone's using. And I think that back in the day there was, there was a, um, a bit of pride with with knowing about the different compounds and 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 knowing what each does and, and I think there is a bit more methodically doing blood work before when you come off cycle and before you go on cycle and and checking eyes and, and um, uh, crossing eyes and dotting T's from a, a health perspective probably more so than than because it was a big deal you know this was part of your sport you know and there used to be. Um, uh, clinics like uh, there was, I think there was a Lewisham Sports Clinic. For um, anyone that that listens to this that, that has been around forever might remember. I think it was called or Leichhardt, and there was a doctor there that, that took it upon himself that you know he did treat bodybuilders because he felt that you know they're going to get bad information. Um, you know they're going to use underground labs, and and arguably the the quality of compound is going to be potentially not. Uh, good. They could be injecting uh, compounds that are going to, you know, cause all sorts of uh, health uh, uh, problems. So, you know, he was like, I'm going to monitor them. I'm going to do blood work. I'm going to prescribe, um, you know, the the compounds, and they're going to get it through through a pharma- pharmacy, compounding pharmacist, or on, you know, prescription off off the uh, shelf type thing. And then, you know, obviously it became, you know, more mainstream and, and it got shut down and now it's very, very taboo. And, and even GPs, are, uh, hands seem to be tied to a degree. They get looked upon if they prescribe too much testosterone, whereas, you know, in today's world, I think that there is a massive problem with, with lower and lower on average testosterone levels for men. And, um, you know, a lot of the time they'll get prescribed antidepressants. It's like you just probably have low testosterone. Let's look at um, low testosterone levels. And then that's a discussion we could have in detail um, if you like. But getting back to what you originally said, I was just laying down a bit of a bit of um, uh, context there. Yes, like I would, I did, and, and, and I, I did – uh, just talk to um, their bodybuilders in the gym, these guys that had a lot of experience because they were like the authorities. But I think their knowledge was much better back then than what individuals that use Chris's every Tom, Dick and Harry that's um, uh, using seems to be these days and a lot of females as well. But um, yeah, and, and the, the, uh, it was like, oh, I just wanted to do, uh, AM, I just wanted to use for, I just want to try it once, you know, I'd been training for, you know, I think I was close to 30 and I've been training for, you know, 15 years, how many, what's the 16, so close to 15 years. And, um, and then 
so I asked, you know, what to use and, and used for, I think it was only um, eight weeks I might have used originally. Uh, it was a testosterone. So similar to what you do with testosterone therapy, to be really honest. But, um, and then I did a few other little ones after that type thing um, back, back in the day um, at this point in time. And, um, and I said to him, you know, it's like, oh, I just want to do it once. He goes, look, I'll, I'll tell you what I know. Uh, this is him talking. Man, one of my friends at the gym. And, um, but you won't just do one. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, I just want to do it once. You know, I just want to see what it's all about, you know? And, you know, I see so many people and the friends, they, you know, they get math, you know, put on a lot of size and they say they use this, use that. I just want to do it right. Just, just want And then sure enough, you know, I did three or four times after that and he was right. So it's, um, yeah, uh, this is, I just thought it was quite funny to say that he was right. And, and that's typically what I tell people when they say they're going to, um, just do it once. Like, oh, okay, you're right. You got you to put on a lot of muscle. You're going to feel amazing. Your sex drive is going to go up. Uh, you're going to be uh, training the house down and, and, you know, hitting the nightclub, you know, with tight shirts on, feeling a million bucks. And then you're going to stop, lose your muscle mass, <laughs> lose your libido, and then, um, you know, not feel like you're, King Kong and a, a God's gift to women, uh, a Greek Adonis, and you're going to be okay with that. And knowing that you could just do it again at the heartbeat, yeah, right, okay. I don't think so. So, you know. Anyway, is there a um, you know, something that's always uh, you know, I I've I I can think back to a lot of friends over the years who have maybe dabbled in things like that, or even um, other drugs that that have like pharmaceuticals that have somehow become more common, like. You know, I know a bunch of guys that have used, like young guys, guys in their sort of 20s, 30s, who have used Viagra over the years just because whatever, they party Absolutely. too much and, you know, and they, and they just want performance enhancement, right, um, on a Saturday Absolutely. night. And, I, and I, whenever I hear of that, and I, I always think, fuck, man, that would, it would scare me so much to fuck with that because if I... Literally. Well, <laughs> yeah, because if I didn't, if I went, when I, when I don't have it, if the experience had been yeah. so good would every other experience be subpar after that? Like, is there this kind of depression when you're like, fuck, I'm no longer enhanced. Yeah. I, I think, um, that's a, that's a, a awesome point. And, and, um, one of the things that you will hear is people going on cycle, coming off cycle. And again, whatever the reason is, do they compete, you know, and, and as part of their chosen sport, whatever, do they just want to get Jack, whatever, but they'll come on cycle and off cycle and, um, you know, the reality is that, yes, when you come off cycle, you, you, you're not going to feel the same as what you were on cycle. And arguably you might feel better because some of the compounds knock you about. It's not like it's all, um, fairy floss and unicorns and, and feeling a million bucks. It's certainly coming into a competition. I guarantee you'll feel like death. And, um, but you know, these compounds allow you to uh, look a certain way and perform a certain way. And you put up with a certain, um, certainly feeling, like uh, garbage, you know, um, even though you might look the strongest, you, um, you know, you might look invincible on, on the competition stage. I guarantee it's probably the worst you've ever felt, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's vastly different to running, um, you know, testosterone therapy and eating a lot of food and, 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 uh, that world I can assure you is, is not really that pleasant. And in those final stages, when you're coming into the competition, Com competitive starvation, just think about that for a second. You're starving the body. I mean, you can imagine the body's going to, 
kick and moan and protest and and try and get you to uh, stop doing what you're doing. But you're going to continue to push and using these 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 compounds, these uh, testosterone and anabolic steroids and, and and other performance enhancing drugs. You know you can get through the process and achieve what you want to achieve. But I can assure you, it's um for most it's it's not a very pleasant experience at the end. However. Um, let's not talk about that world. Let's talk about just doing a cycle where you're not necessarily dieting like a um, mofo to get ready for a competition. You're not doing the, the air quote competitive starvation thing and trying to get your body fat levels to obscenely low, unhealthy. And that's what it is. It's an unhealthy level of body fat, but it's a great level of body fat to show your muscle definition and, and uh, when bodybuilding shows, um, but uh, but if it's if it's you you just done a cycle for whatever duration, you know then you come off cycle. Then the reality is you're not going to feel the same. And I and I point that out to them. It's like well just just be aware that this is part. It's almost like doing a competition. You know you're going to feel um, pretty garbage after doing a competition, but you achieved the goal. Looked amazing. That was the goal that you set out to achieve. Often and this is independent of using supplementation, performance enhancing supplementation or not, just dieting hard in for a natural competition, it is unhealthy. You're gonna have health issues to some degree after the competition for a duration. What that duration is depends on individual to individual. But to think that you're not that you're gonna bounce out and be, you know, a clean bill of health after you know dieting for 16, 20 weeks. And again, to use that uh, expression, competitively starved yourself, how in any way, shape or form do you think that's going to be healthy for your body uh, hormonally? It's not. There's going to be a price to pay. Much like I said, using anabolic androgenic steroids and testosterone, there's a price to pay. It's just where the, the price, uh, the end goal is worth the, the price you're going to pay. For those that, again, want to um, compete and, and, again, whatever the reason is for them wanting to compete, I got asked this why do I compete? It's like, I, I honestly don't know. I just know that I like the challenge and I like to improve my physique um, on what I have been uh, able to uh, do previously um, to see what the body's capable of, et cetera. I could, I could sort of articulate things a certain way, but there's no deep down, this is why I compete. Um, but when they come off like a, a recreational cycle where it isn't in that environment, yeah, the reality is you're not going to feel like you did. You're not going to have that training drive. You're not going to have that muscle mass. Like that example I gave previously, you're not going to have the libido. Um, again, you got to weigh up whether it's worth it. you got to understand that you're suppressing your endogenous production of testosterone. We have a libido in, in part due to testosterone and the estrogen and dihydrotestosterone that your endogenous testosterone converts to. So if you're not producing testosterone because you've been supplementing exogenous compounds, then clearly you're going to have issues after you come off those compounds with your sexual performance and, and libido and, and, and even, you know, your energy levels, your cognition, all those characteristics, Google low testosterone, and then all those things are, are going to come into manifestation after you come off cycle. In addition to not being as strong, in addition to boosting muscle mass, in addition to not being as confident. Um, and yeah, that, that knocks you about. And that's why a lot, you know, they go straight back on cycle or they, they, you know, air quote cruise, and, you know, the reality is if you are going to go and use, um, you know, uh, go on cycle again or, or use performance enhancing anabolics again, then you're better off, you know, not coming off completely 
you know, going on to like a, a some sort of like what I would do with testosterone, you just replace your um, similar amount to your natural production because that is probably a healthier position to be in because when you do come off completely, that's going to have um, health concerns as well. And the main reason you would come off completely is to, um, I guess, maintain or reestablish what's called your uh, hyperpituitary testicular axis. And, and that is essentially the communication between the brain and the testes. And then repro- uh, start your endogenous reproduction again with a long-term um, uh, consideration given to your fertility. And that's the, the, the main thing that I, I really think outside of, yeah, this cardiovascular risk and, and, and other, you know, depending on what you do with the different compounds and the dosages and the durations and, and other ancillaries that you might use with these compounds, there's various um, cardiovascular risk, kidney risk, and, and um, you know, specific heart risk, uh, liver stress, these types of things, which you get from a lot of drugs, recreational drugs you would take anyway. So it's not exclusive to um testosterone and anabolic androgen steroids but the the reality is that that the um the health concerns are going to be there i can't remember the point i was going to make with that one but um but yeah it's okay the, the, but, but, but yeah, but the, the point I'm making with, um, sorry to, to answer your specific question was that, that yeah, the, the reality is you're not going to feel amazing. So you need to be aware of that much like if you're going to do a competition, you need to be aware that there's going to be a duration afterwards where you're not going to feel amazing, but because you, uh, put on X amount of muscle mass on, on cycle, then, okay, that's full. Uh, you will lose some of that muscle mass. You won't lose all the muscle mass if you can continue to train, monitor your diet, get your sleep, stress in check, and, and do all those types of things. But, um, yeah, but if you're going to – I think I was going along the lines of you're going to go back on cycle, it might be better just to stay on on some supplementation because it's probably healthier than going into that that uh, abyss of, of, you know, um, no testosterone. But the reason you would – that was what I was saying is to um, maintain uh, fertility long-term. And that's the main reason why I think you would uh, spend time off cycle. And uh, if there was, um, you know, concerns about, you know, having a family and, and certainly um, at, you're in an age where you, you're too young to have a family, depending on what age you are. I mean, we could argue what's too young, I suppose, but if you're not in a position in your life where you were ready to uh, reproduce, then having time where you did come off cycle, allowing the body to um, reset and, and actually using blood work. And like I said, you should be using blood work on cycle as well to make sure everything's in check and nothing's getting out of hand. But um, allowing the levels to come back online, reestablishing that high uh, HPTA communication between the brain and the testes, and then basically getting your fertility back. And then, you know, and then choosing whether you do want to go back onto another cycle. Um, that would probably be the best way to do it long term if you were going to do it and you had concerns about maintaining uh, fertility or having the ability to reproduce um, at some stage later in your life. However, there should be, if there's no trauma to the testes or uh, for, with the, the either end, so primary or secondary 
hypogonadism, either from the brain or from the testes. If there's no issues that developed um, then or no underlying issues, then there's no real reason there shouldn't be uh, the ability to reset everything once you come off. But the longer you're on cycle, the longer you uh, suppress communication with the testes from the brain, you're sort of relying on, it's sort of like a car that hasn't been started and so been sitting in the backyard for, you know, 30 years, uh, you know, you go put a new battery in it, you hope it's going to turn over, but, you know, you might need to do a few other things to get it to kick over and, and maybe it's just been sitting there too long and it's corroded and, you know, it just won't start. So that's sort of like an analogy. I don't know if it's a very good one, but you could use, it just hasn't been started for so long. Those testes haven't been producing testosterone. So, yeah, and the the heart health and the cardiovascular risk and, and all these types of things, there's no, I don't think, there's a lot of anecdotal, um, you see it in steroid users, but there's no like point blank. If you take, um, again, because you're taking it for reasons that, that it's in, and in a way super physiologically that, that is not, they don't have a lot of um, research on like the medical community. So it's hard to really pinpoint whether, yes, you will get um, cardiovascular risk. Yes, you will get remodeling of heart tissue. Yes, you will have a, you know, uh, liver uh, cancer. Yes, your kidneys will have problems. If you use comp these compounds, it's more, that we, we see this in, in this situation, but it's not necessarily 100% going to happen, much like with, with everything. You know, there's no guarantee that you're going to be um, subjected to all these health concerns. So, um, but definitely the suppression of your endogenous production, that is something that happens across the board with, with all compounds. So that is something that you definitely, for, for men and for women, they need to be aware of. And I'm just, sorry, that was a big long-winded. I didn't really let you say anything. I do apologise if you wanted to ask questions. I just blah 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 blah. Not at all. I like sorry. it. I like that you're a talker. Um, <laughs> endogenous is produced in your own body, and then exogenous is like an external sub, like external compound. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, could, uh, I want to. I want to also say, Jerry. Like I should have said this at the start, man. I said this last time we had a conversation. I do not in any way, shape, or form form want to give the impression that I'm an authority um, that, you know, I think I'm, I'm like a doctor and, and recommending things. This is all just conversations. Um, I've had my own personal experiences working with athletes, um, liaising with doctors and all this type of stuff, but it's, I, I do not want to give the impression that, that I'm the go-to guy or I, this is just my interpretation of, of the facts and figures from what I've learned over the years. So I do want to preface that for anyone that's listening and, and for yourself. So it's just for information purposes only, just for, for clarity, yeah? Yeah, totally. I, I, I completely understand that. And I can, I'll make a note of that when I do the, the, an intro for the episode too. Uh, oh, awesome. Thank you, man. Yeah, because it's – look, it's a very, it's a very interesting topic. Um, everyone throws around – like everyone talks about steroids in some – like – oh, look at that person, uh, probably juicing or, you know, like everyone is yeah, aware yeah. of it. And we all, like, you only have to go to any commercial gym and look at some of the cats you see in there. And you're like, yeah. all right, this is steroids are, or performance enhancement is obviously a part of this community that I'm in. But, but we don't talk about it and we don't know about it. So I think, mm. um, so I kind of, I really appreciate just having a conversation with you about it. Um, as I'm sure other people will listen to it because it just helps you 
just helps you know a little bit more. And I don't, I mean, for mm. me, like I've, I've never used anything like that and I don't endeavor to, like it doesn't, I don't get excited. Well, look, there's well, always the first time. Look, let's, let's, we'll never, I'll never we'll talk yeah. off air. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll talk off air. Depends how much your discount codes get me off. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but, do, but you know what I mean? So it's, it's also like, um, it's also like talking about some of the benefits doesn't, it's not necessarily like you're selling it because it's always like, well, it can do this, but then here's the drawback. So I, I feel like it's quite mm. a, a balanced conversation in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and, and that's what I really try and reiterate. It's sort of, I do get point blank asked that like, uh, people will, will talk to me, hey, can we have a chat? I'll say, well, I can tell you what I know and what, what experiences I've had. But, yeah, oh, well, is this a safe way to do it? Is this a safe dosage? Is I will, you know, this, 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 that's a how long's a piece of string? Like, I mean, you, you might have underlying health concerns and and you you, you might take a, say, for example, um, you hear of these, uh, I think there was like a league player that um, took a, um, a peptide that was a growth hormone promoting peptide, a secretagogue, which basically is um, promotes your endogenous, so your natural production of growth hormone. Um, once you administer this uh, peptide, and peptides were, you know, they were still through clinics at this point in time. So it wasn't like it was a full band band, although he was a professional athlete, so maybe it was for him. But it, uh, the growth factors, um, it in increased the proliferation of, of the underlying cancer that he had. And, and I think he, um, died as a, as a result because he had, he, uh, induced now he, he was, um, obviously, um, we're going to have issues with, with this cancer regardless, but the, the compound just basically sped things up. And I, and I think when I take a step back and I, and I see health concerns that do develop and then like with pro bodybuilders and, you know, individuals that are using these drugs with, um, with frequency and, and extended durations, I get the impression that, you know, if you have a look at society and everyone, there's a widespread cancer, there's widespread health concerns, there's, there's hereditary um, health concerns, which is really something that you want to be mindful of if you are going to use the compounds. What's your history of, you know, do you have a history of cholesterol issues? Well, uh, anabolic androgenic steroids and testosterone can knock about your cholesterol values. Now, does cholesterol um, mean you're going to have um, issues with cardiovascular health? Not necessarily, but it's, it's more so the information. But, you know, that's a, a, a black mark against you. That's like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't. You know, or you have high blood pressure. Um, the fluid retention that you get from anabolics can uh, increase uh, sodium retention and increase blood pressure. Um, you know, well, if you have a family history of blood pressure, then oh, okay, maybe don't don't um, don't use for an extended duration or, or think twice about using. Um, the size that you put on can induce sleep apnea. Um, okay, that that's fine, but sleep apnea can drive up blood pressure and other health concerns are you prepared to get a CPAP machine like I have to use, um, you know, to help me. So I don't have sleep apnea at night. A few of the athletes that I coach, they have, um, you know, looked into that and they're getting treated treated for sleep apnea. So there's certain things you need to be a, a aware of, um, with the, uh, with these compounds definitely. But, um, but yeah, what's a CPAP machine? So uh, con constant pressure airway, constant positive airway pressure CPAP. So basically um, helps you to sleep apnea. So 
Um, those individuals, sleep apnea is a disease of um, size, not not obesity. Um, so it's basically where you stop breathing at night and your uh, like your palate and your um, uh, throat sort of collapses and you and you gag and, and you know you you stop breathing and you and you wake up gasping and then you go back to back to sleep and that can happen repeatedly and that really puts a lot of stress on your heart and, and drives up blood pressure plus a, a ton of other uh, health concerns. So. Um, yeah, like this is really, really common in males and females. And uh, that is something that typically uh, when you put on a, a bit more muscle mass, certainly on the chest, it can put uh, pressure on that part of the, the body and, and your throat and, and, and it can induce sleep apnea. So it's, it's like I said, a disease, a disease of size, not um, inherently um, uh, obese or overweight um, individuals. So... Yeah, that's just 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 a, something to think about in regards to um, you know the uh, pros and cons and and like you mentioned, there's always a there's always a cost, but these are all little things you want to want to think about. Certainly, uh, a medical history would be a cause for some concern if you were going to look at using um, this performance enhancing supplementation. Mate, did you follow? Um changing course here a little bit did you follow much of the olympics no i um no like i like I, i'm not i did do a uh, little little um recording with mentor of mine broderick chavez if anyone that's interested in the topic we're talking about today check out the evil genius sports performance broderick chavez is is someone that a lot of this information that i'm talking to you about I've uh, learned from him. Yeah, a lot of in the trenches uh, experience. But we did a little um, recording last week that I put in my members group. The Dubai Method members group. Shameless plug there. Um, you can't be in that unless I'm coaching you. So if you don't want me to coach you, you can come in the members group. Can but I anyway, in? talking about the, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, man. I, I think um, could you, you, you uh, support what I do. You'll have to take some Anavar. That's the cost for, uh, of course, coming into the group. But um, like I said, we'll, we'll talk after the show. <laughs> but um, we did a, uh, a chat about the Olympics and um, drug testing and and uh, his thoughts. And uh, interestingly, he has actually worked with uh, some elite level uh, sports um, athletes and Olympians. And you know, he basically has a skill set which it sounds really bad. I'm not trivializing this or saying it's common practice, but he has actually worked with uh, athletes to pass various tests um, to continue to compete at that Olympic and certainly uh, national level uh, athletics. So wow. yeah, it was a candid, candid discussion about um, what he feels the, um, uh, you know, drug um, doping is occurring at, at that Olympic level. And, um, yeah, very, very interesting to say the least. And, and apparently we've got to take it at face value. I obviously haven't seen him talking or seen the communication with said athlete, but you know, I don't see why he has a reason to lie to me. Um, and you know, he says that he has uh, liaise with, with actual Olympic uh, caliber athletes in regard to how to utilize performance enhancing supplementation and not, uh, fail drug tests. So, and I'm pretty sure he's not the only individual on planet Earth that is um, has that skill set. So it's very, very. It was a very, very interesting uh, uh, conversation. But the other thing you want to remember, Joey, is what do we deem performance enhancing? Now, he actually feels that probably 70% of the performance enhancing drugs used in at that level are not actually anabolic engineering steroids. They might be utilized in certain sports 
in the off season and then they come off said compounds. Um, so actually at the games there or at the meet or whatever the event is, they're, they're not actually on the compounds and they, the way they test is they, they look for certain ratios. Um, I think it's testosterone to epitestosterone might be one of them, but don't quote me on that. It's not really my thing. Um, or metabolize the different compounds. But a lot of the, the drugs that are abused are, are things like, say, for example, uh, you're playing snooker or you're playing uh, art, you're uh, an archer and you need to be really, really calm. So the performance-enhancing drug of choice for yours is not going to be you know, uh, oxymethylone that, um, you know, increases brute strength and, and, um, you know, it's going to make you, uh, a really confident powerlifter. It is a, a beta blocker, a blood pressure medication that, that helps you relax. So you can, you know, keep a really steady eye on the target and, or, or target shooting, for example. So, you know, the world of performance enhancing drugs is, um, when you think about it, it is, it's not just anabolic engineering steroids and testosterones, which, which is often what people think of. The, um, there's a wide array of, of performance-enhancing drugs that can be utilized in um, you know, that elite-level sport. So, yeah, it was actually a fascinating discussion, but I haven't been to answer your question watching the Olympics. Again, I got sidetracked, sorry. Not at all. You kind of took where I wanted to go anyways. Um yeah, I remember on uh, remember that that film uh, was it uh, bigger, stronger, faster. You must have, yeah, you must have seen that. It's probably it's probably ten years old or something now. And I'm guessing you know things have things have changed a lot. But I remember in that they were talking about fighter pilots using beta blockers mm. and also, mm. and I think they were also talking about uh, people who play um, like in orchestras, like like musicians playing instruments at the highest level. Um, using beta yes. blockers because it yeah reduces anxiety and allows them to perform at their best. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. The reason um, there was a tennis player, I think it was was a Sharapova. She got she got done for um, it was a, a similar medication that um, just basically increased her her threshold that she could tolerate um, was enhanced so she could keep calm and then perform at a much higher level, whereas others would be, but yeah, it was like a, a some sort of blood pressure um, heart medication that basically brought her work capacity up. So she could just, um, yeah. And don't quote me, I, I think it was Sheriff Hope, I'm not sure, but it was one of those um, female tennis players and it, and it brought the drug into the limelight. But yeah, very interesting. Uh, so the reason I asked initially about the Olympics piece was I was um, I watched a bunch of it. My partner and I, you know, it was it was TV was basically on for two weeks, um, and I I noticed that the the sprinters right now, the hundred meter, two hundred meter sprinters, are a lot smaller than they used to be, and I remember probably uh, I don't know what Olympics it was, but I remember um, kind of like the heyday of the American sprinters, Maurice Green and um, yeah, yeah. the likes of, you know, and I, I can't remember the, the female American sprinter who, who she did get um, publicly, you know, she was um, done for performance enhancement. Mar- Marion Jones, was it? Or? Exactly, yeah, Marion Jones. And yeah. I just remember, you remember at that time, these sprinters were fucking jacked. They were so big, they were real specimens and they would, you know, they would like power through this like nine second event and then they would mm. be, you know, pounding their chest and you'd be looking and you'd be like, oh my God, look at these individuals. And, mm. you know, the sprinters now, they're, they're incredible specimens all the same, but they definitely don't look like that. 
Um, <clears throat> and it just, it struck me and I, I had the thought, is it, is it a change in how we train? Uh, is, do we now have better protocols around training and athletes don't need to carry as much mass? Or is it simply that we're just seeing a different era and drugs have been, I mean, they're never out, but have they been sort of more tightly regulated through this time? What's your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting. One of the, the points that Broderick made is um, like, okay, so the, the drugs were banned in, in back in, was it? I don't know what Olympic Games it was, but up until then they were they weren't banned and they were uh, being utilised and and records were at a certain level. So in in weightlifting and and, and track and field and everything else, and then and then they'll banned and like Broderick pointed out, the the trajectory of um, records continues to fall. Like we continue to go faster and faster and jump higher and higher and throw further and further. And this is without drugs, like with drugs, we set these records and then we ban the drugs. And then over time, the, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not speaking with any authority here and I'm repeating what Broderick said, but he is immersed in, in, in this, this uh, world, but in general, the, the performance has continued to improve. Now is it every Olympics it improves? Maybe not, but over time, you know, there's still weightlifting records being set. There's still sprinting records being set. Um, now, uh, is there greater population and, 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 and more people involved in the sport? Yeah. I mean, there are nuances and, and, and point counterpoints. We could, we could argue in training. Yeah. Okay. Training is a little, a little more comprehensive, you know, maybe the nutrition and, and supplementation uh, outside of performance enhancing is better and more emphasis on sleep and all these types of things compared to back in the day. But, but even so, you know, it begs the question that how, how, can all that still equate to improve, you know, notably improve performance from where, you know, it was open. You can use as many drugs as you want, go for it. And they did, and they were very, very strong and, and all the records were sort of set. And then um, over time they've continued to improve over the years. So that in itself sort of is a hard concept to get your head around, but you know, maybe it's, um, it is the case. But I think that, um, you know, and, and, and I don't want to sound like a, a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but I, I think maybe the, the drugs are, um, you know, just a, it's not just the, you know, pure um, build muscle uh, improved performance. You know, there are subtleties that, um, you know, what are we doing? Performance enhancing is it, are these compounds that allow a greater um, work capacity, you know, and they can do more work and, and, that, and that's how they're, um, they're improving their times or is it, are there drugs that are, uh, you know, making their more explosive, their muscles more explosive and, and more fast twitch. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's the actual performance of the muscle rather than just sheer size that once upon a time, you know, their, um, you know, the doping or, or, or knowledge on doping was, was, uh, of, um, such that it was, well, let's increase the mass, let's increase the, the strength of the individual and that will improve performance. Whereas now maybe they're, you know, you hear that they're always however many steps ahead of, ahead of the curve in regards to doping and drug testing. You know, who knows to what uh, capacity they are actually doing that. I've heard, um, you know, Broderick said that, um, you know, if you think about it, um, 
in certain parts of the world, like if you can become an elite, uh, an Olympian, you know, then you're set for life. The family's set, you get um, pay rewarded, uh, treated like royalty. Now, why wouldn't you in a in, in a in a an environment like that certainly give consideration to doing whatever you have to do to become an elite athlete? I think in certain um, environments that it's it's far more acceptable to go down that route. And you know, you hear um, Brod was saying that you know, uh, up and coming athlete was out of action, tore you know both ligaments in 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 the ankle, and uh, you know was out for you know twelve months. But they're back training now. And in actual fact, it was you know maybe reattaching tendons to a more favorable position on the leg, so they have more explosive power, you know, through the glutes or you know through the gastroc, so their running performance improves. I mean, to what level? Uh, performance enhancement is is going okay. Maybe they can't use um, anabolic androgenic steroids and testosterone like they once did, but there's I'm sure with all the trillions of people on the planet and very very smart individuals and you know uh, a big push to uh, fund those individuals to improve performance in some way. I'm pretty sure that they are still achieving what they set out to achieve, but just via different um, drugs potentially and, and different uh, vectors or ways to do it. Uh, I've also heard that um, uh, in the, the U.S. where scholarships, you know, you get paid your, 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 all your college um, fees, which are astronomical, I gather. I didn't go to university, but I think you could say, yeah, I owe Hex, I owe 40 grand for Hex. When I make some money, I'm going to have to pay all that back. I mean, it's pretty common. And you hear of um, uh, like young guys taking growth hormone. So growth hormone is a, is an ancillary uh, performance enhancing drug, of course. Like the guys or girls listening would have heard of growth hormone. And the reality is, if you're underdeveloped and your your bone length is still growing, now it doesn't happen to you and I, Joey. If we were to say growth hormone, we're not going to grow a couple of inches anywhere. And Anywhere, air quotes. So don't think you're going to get a couple of inches anywhere, guys, with growth hormone use. But, but all jokes aside, and the, the funny part is, you will get growth where I'm referring to in that part of the uh, male anatomy if you're underdeveloped. And I hear that um, you know these young guys, uh, you know, in their early teens, are using growth hormone to increase their bone length because they're still growing. That remember the growth. Um, plates haven't sort of uh, uh, sealed and, and once the bone has grown, the, the growth plates uh, sort of lock in and that's it. You don't get longitudinal bone growth. You might get a bit of um, cross-sectional bone growth and you can get cranial uh, bone growth in the head. Like some things grow with growth hormone use. I mean, look at Andre the Giant, you know, he had a uh, growth hormone issue and, you know, through the protrusion, he had a massive noggin. But, but, um, acromegaly, wasn't these, it? Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it's called. But but these kids are, are using it, and they're they're growing taller, so they can actually. Where I'm going with this, they because they can actually become um, more competitive basketballer or uh, NFL front row, you know, um, forward or whatever it's called. But they can actually, um, with performance enhancing supplementation at a really early age, um, get a lot of muscle mass. Uh, or get a lot of size and growth so they can actually become a competitive basketballer and then they get their scholarship uh, college 
pay for and, and they get a scholarship and live happily ever after. And, and the other thing is the, uh, the guys and, and I mean, not that you and I have to worry about this, Joey, but, but they actually uh, increase their, uh, <clears throat> their uh, endowment uh, because that's still growing as well with the supplementation of growth hormone. So it's a, at the end of the day, it's a win, win, win. Oh, good. It. They get taller, <laughs> they get become pro basketballer, they get a big schlong, uh, and undoubtedly get lots of chicks when they're, uh, you know, pro basketball and then they can deliver the goods because they're well endowed. I mean, what young man wouldn't want to go down that route? <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. There's, um, yeah, yeah that's I, what I heard anyway. You know, like I said, it's, um, but where the smoke is fire, Jerry, usually. I, I, yeah, I think, um, it's, it's, it is, it's interesting for you to point out that, yeah, you know, people are in. Some people are in such circumstances that taking that extra step to do something that's very fringy, um, or, yeah. or you know, in, in order to reach that upper limit, like it's it's very understandable. Yeah, and and statistically, it's like not everyone gets gets caught. It's like okay, you um, you're in a, a third world country, but you have some athletic potential. Okay, there's a chance that. Um, and ha, 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 who knows that they're up and coming? They could, they could use anabolic androgen steroids, build all the muscle mass at an early age, improve their, um, you know, the other thing that um, the performance-enhancing supplementation like these do, they improve a, a hand-eye coordination, so they can become competent at their craft and then start competing. And it was because they did, you know, the first five six years of their existence. You know, in, a, in you know a backyard gym with a competent coach, you know, being on performance enhancing supplementation, and then you know, okay, maybe there's a sixty percent chance you're going to get caught. Well, they've got nothing else to necessarily um, do. They they're unemployed, and they, well, shit, there's a forty percent chance I'm going to become a world class athlete and uh, make lots of money and be a professional. Well. I think they're pretty good odds and I could see why, you know, many would, would, would not bat an eyelid and, and, and just, just pursue that, um, that path. Um, you know, so yes, yeah, it's, it's, and, and again, uh, who, who, who are we to say what's, what's right or wrong in, 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 in their shoes? Could you give us as a, much, yes, as much as it's, it's, you know, it's obviously not right in, in, or, or is it? Or are you evening the playing field? You know, like I mean, that's a, a discussion for a completely different discussion as to whether drugs in sport is is fair or not fair. You know, when we think about most probably just well, not most, but there is a good percentage that that uh, do use. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great question to ask. I mean, you you see it in the Olympics. There's you see these different nations, and you see you know, you see how some of the nations carry themselves and you can tell, you know, you look at like the American running team and you're like, holy shit, like, you know, you, you, you know that there's a huge machine behind that. There's great funding. There's huge, you know, college programs. There's, you know, I'm sure yeah. an abundance of, of high-level coaches. And then you see smaller nations, um, you know, that have a much smaller, you know, smaller population. You, you, you imagine they have less funding, less technology, all those things. And, you know, whatever, sometimes they're competitive, sometimes they're less so, but there's no, there's nothing to say that the, the legal methods of training are equal. So mm. none of it's really on a level playing field anyway. Uh, I'm, not, I'm yeah. not advocating necessarily for drugs in sport, but, but I, yeah, it's, it, you, can't, you can't just assume that everyone's coming from the same baseline. Sure, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. And, but, you know, if, if, if it – I mean, not that it ever will. Like, I mean, it's such a, um, a taboo topic and it's never, ever going to be that that way where it's it's allowed. But, you know, if it, if it was monitored, then, you know, there'd be far less, you know, uh, long-term health concerns, arguably. Um you know, it could be medically supervised and everything else. I mean, it's a, it's a wasted conversation because it's just never going to happen. And there's so many, um, you know, counter arguments and yeah. So it's just a, but it's always, um, yeah, because we don't, we don't want to see, I mean, you know, one of the things that Broderick says, he, he just likes natural um, bodybuilders because, you know, it's so uneventful and boring, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's unexciting. You can imagine. Weebs. Yeah, we don't know any different. We have we the, the reality is we, we haven't been exposed to any elite sport or Olympics that that are not um, in some way, shape, or form influenced by performance enhancing drugs. So we've got nothing to compare it to. But I'm pretty sure that you and I, I know when I watch 100 meters, I want to see that that um, record be broken. I want to see that weightlifting. I want to see that that individual, you know, hurl the uh, you know even a heavier load overhead. That's what I. I'm going to the Olympics to see. I don't want to see, you know, subpar records being set or the records going backwards. So you got to think also that, you know, it puts bums on seats and, and how deep and, and why does the, um, you know, turning a blind eye, if you like, or sort of, you know, accepting, well, yeah, we'll, we'll test and we'll, we'll try and get a few of them. But at the same time, we don't want to get all of them because we want, yeah, we want this to be a good Olympics and we want, you know, lots of records being set. I mean, you think about, you know, think about the money that that's invested with, um, you, uh, you know, the rights to the, um, uh, TV and, and, and sponsors and everything else. I mean, there's is astronomical money involved. And I gather, you know, when you go back to the soul with uh, Ben Johnson and um, and him testing, um, you know, failing a drug test, and, and you, you've heard afterwards that the whole field was was actually uh, tested positive, and um, and he was sort of thrown under the bus because of uh, you know the one of the concerns was that the uh, TV um, broadcast rights that they, they would pull and lose so much money. So it was like, okay, well you know, uh, well, we've got to have, we've got to throw someone under the bus. And it was, uh, Ben Johnson that, that, that took the rap for that one. But, you know, you can imagine that, um, the chaos and anarchy that, that would have ensued if, if the whole, um, you know, lineup, um, actually tested, uh, positive or failed to fail the drug test, you know, the, the financial loss involved. So now whether that was all, it, that is actually what happened, but that, that's what I heard as well. And that to me makes some, um, some sense that there's so much money involved in elite sport that there's almost a, you know, there's a push for it not to be uh, drug free because it, to a degree, it's going to become pretty boring. Comparatively speaking, compared to what we used to, I should say uh, in context. I, I do remember seeing a doco some years ago where they were talking about Ben Johnson and him testing positive And then, uh, it was to do with the science that they were using uh, at the present time. It's probably about 10 yeah. years ago or so, um, which was, you know, obviously at the time it was the best science they had. And that was what uncovered the doping um, in the in Ben Johnson and, and who he was competing against. They decided to apply, because apparently they keep blood samples 
from you know always there's always duplicate samples that are, that are yeah. kept in storage so they started to apply that current best science to those older drug samples from previous olympics and they were talking to the guy that was one of the scientists on the team doing this and he said we got like 40 years back and we just decided to stop because everything that we we're mm. coming up with was like we had tainted samples going back as far as we wanted to take it so he's like yeah. we, we had to draw a line somewhere um which yeah it's a it you know it it kind of it makes you look at the whole thing through a slightly different lens when you when you hear something like that yeah and it's it's um it's such a such a touchy topic and and you know most people are will go toe to toe you know you tell your mom it's oh they you know they they do not you know what are you talking about you know don't don't be silly it's like okay all right whatever but um, I think it's one of those that just is what it is and they're going to continue to test and develop better testing methods. And, you know, the drug cheats will, um, well, the, the, they're going to find ways to get around it and, and find different, different performance enhancing supplementation. And, and it's just uh, the way of the world. But, um, but yeah, it's a, you just chase your tail around trying to unpack that uh, topic and, and, you know, have some rational thought about it. Mate, I want to get into some talk about um, the natural side of things and what you've been doing. You, you know, the 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 cutting phase that you're on. Do you how you doing? How you doing for time right now? Yeah, man, I can uh, work and run through that definitely. Okay. Um, so yeah, what I what I before we went to air, I said that um, you said that I was looking um, tall, dark, and handsome. It's probably just my gold rimmed '70s porn glasses I that fucking, you particularly like. I like love those. Yeah, they are exceptional, <laughs> man. Thank you, thank you. Um, you look, you look like a different person today. When you, when I, when you jumped on this, I'm like, holy shit! Like you didn't look like the same Rodden I spoke to back in what was it, November? Yeah, no, I've got the, um, I got the the skeletal face coming on quite nicely. Um, looking younger, shaved my head. But anyway, what, what I what I decided to do, like uh, for the guys that are listening who, who don't know me, I'm a, a physique prep coach. And um, I'm fortunate that I am working with some amazing athletes that are continuing to prep during lockdown for shows and professional photo shoots. And so um, with gyms closing, obviously I'm a, I'm a coach and, and PT as well. Um, uh, you know, I've lost access to my um, uh, training environment, but I wanted to still give myself a goal. I'm very goal driven. I've competed multiple times. So, you know, uh, that competitive starvation that I spoke about is something that's not foreign to me. I'm quite happy to put my body through pain and suffering. And, uh, so what I did is, um, in part to really give me a more, it's been a little while since I've done a fat loss specific phase, Joey, and, and push the body composition hard. And, um, and I think like with what I do and, and me having the ability to coach you with some authenticity and, um, you know, can really relate to what you're going through. I think it's to some degree, it's not essential, but it's very beneficial for the individual to have it, having experienced such, um, uh, an environment, you know, I've competed. So when I coach you to compete, I can relate to various things that happen along the way and I can explain how I dealt with it. And that's what I'm doing at the moment. To be honest, I wanted to put myself in the environment where I am tempted by my food. I am tempted by 
you know, really poor energy levels to stop doing what I'm doing. You know, my uh, sleep's been compromised. So I've got to find solutions for that just because I'm so depleted. Um, and it's really given me a, a deeper insight into what some of the individuals I'll be coaching are going through. And then I can relate firsthand. It's like, well, actually, last week, you know, this was my situation uh, and this is what I did. So I guess it's adding one of my hashtags that I always uh, like to use is I'm always learning. Um, I learn from everyone, even all the athletes I coach. Sometimes they say, hey, why don't we do this? And I'm like, hmm, why don't we do that? Yeah, God damn it. That's a good point. And then I've restructured what I'm doing slightly and incorporate what they pointed out. So uh, I learn from everyone. And um, that is what I decided to do. So what I've done is um, resign myself to the fact that I'm going to lose some muscle mass. That's okay. I'm on testosterone therapy. So that's going to maintain a little bit of muscle for me, more so than, than an individual that wasn't on testosterone therapy because, you know, without training, um, you know, without a, a, a certain level of circulating androgens, you will atrophy to some degree. So because I have a... Um, you know, a high normal level of testosterone is going to maintain a certain amount of muscle mass independent of resistance training. And that's just the way it is guys. So, uh, jump on board, talk to me after the show, talk to Joe. I'll give you a, uh, my number and we can uh, talk, but, uh, I'm joking of course. Um, so yeah, so that being said, I was aware that I'd keep some muscle mass, but I'm quite okay with losing muscle mass. I've been training for 30 plus years um, I know what to do to some degree in the gym. So I'll be able to put muscle on quite quickly when I go back into the gym and I'll get all those newbie gains. And if anyone that has started training for the first time, you know what newbie gains are. You just grow like a weed through, you know, just looking at a dumbbell. So I'm looking forward to that. So I, I'm okay with that. And I'm in a lockdown environment anyway. So it's not like I'm going out and about and I need to impress anyone it's just basically me sitting at home on my laptop coaching all the athletes i'm working with recording content for my um uh facebook group um, my members group and so on and so forth so i'm quite okay with with not looking as jacked if you will that's what i normally do but what i wanted to do was get my conditioning as freaky and as you know as show quality as i possibly could for the duration of lockdown which was kind of cool because lockdown was going to end in, I'd already been dieting anyway, Joey, and, I, and I'd sort of, and then lockdown occurred. It's like, okay, well, let's step it up a notch. And um, I play around with energy balance. And, but then now it's extended. So now I'm just getting leaner and leaner and leaner. And it's like, my God, it's going to go through another six weeks or so. It'll be like, I feel like I look like Mr. Burns at the moment. If you guys remember off the Simpsons, you know, if there was any of those naked shots where he's frail and decrepit, that's what I feel and look like. I'm really, really fatigued and really, really weak. But again, I don't need a lot of energy to do what I do at the moment, but it's interesting. Um, I am basically trying to show all the athletes I'm coaching that the changing um, body composition, and I'm not talking about muscle mass perspective here, because that is part of changing body composition, of course, but just losing fat mass is completely um, doable with just the manipulation of energy balance. So energy balance is obviously, you know, how many calories I need to sustain a baseline uh, and maintain a certain body composition. So for me to reduce body fat, I alter the energy balance either through input uh, or output. So I can increase my activity. So my step activity, uh, how much I move throughout the day I can increase 
or I could do cardiovascular training, which is what I do. I bought a Stairmaster. So basically I'm on the Stairmaster for, you know, I don't know how long I should, should say you, you, your toes will curl and say, what the F are you serious? But basically it's titrated up. At the moment, I am at three and a half hours a day on the Stairmaster. Oh. And yeah, I know, sorry. I didn't want to say that out loud, but <laughs> three and a half hours. I wasn't at that at the start, so it's increased uh, in order to create a greater deficit of energy balance. Because remember, energy balance is input and output. So I can increase my output and decrease my input. So I eat less and move more. And, and like I said, it's an experiment. To, I want to see what I am capable of pushing my body to. And then also it's evoking these, um, this crazy level of fatigue. One of the things that happens when you diet hard, you reduce your what's called non-exercise activity thermogenesis and spontaneous physical activity. And one of the things that I tell the guys I'm coaching is, now guys, you're gonna, your, your needs inspire, you're going to reduce, your activity is going to reduce, actually become more fatigued. It's really important that you maintain the same routine and structure daily so we don't get a stall in fat loss. It's basically, Joey, if you um, move less, you conserve energy, you take yourself potentially out of a negative energy balance and you don't lose fat. So that's probably the greatest cause of a stall in fat loss is because you actually move less. So you can consciously move less. You just choose not to walk to the bus stop. You you know you drive to work or you use the escalator instead of stairs. All these things are conscious decisions to use less energy, but then on a sub subconscious level, it can occur as well. Facial expressions, uh, spontaneous physical activity, you just don't get up and move around as much. All these things constitute energy output. So when that goes down due to being fatigued, you can actually compromise your fat loss because you're just not using as much energy. Plus the body adapts what's called movement efficiency and you just use less energy anyway, doing the same task. But I've really noticed that firsthand myself. Um, and, I, and I made a promise not to uh, change my routine. I have a dog, a little staffy Jader, her and I here, and I'd walk her in the morning. I'd do my cardio, one of that three and a half hours. So I wake up at quarter past four, I do 90 minutes. And then I do uh, 45 minute blocks throughout the day uh, before I eat each meal and to get my um, it's three and a half at the moment. Uh, God knows where it will go to. It's pretty much I'm on the laptop or the Stairmaster or out walking Jada. But of late, I just, I, I made the decision to not do that walk in the morning. I just don't have the energy. It's like, my God, I, I, I you know, I, I, uh, walking up gutters is hard. Like just stepping up a gutter is like, I'm going to, you know, when the gutters have got the little curve where bikes can go up the gutter, I'll walk around a little bit so I don't actually have to take a bigger step to walk up the gutter. Going upstairs, I make sure I hold up the handrail and pull myself up. So it's not necessarily a healthy place to be. Like I am seriously uh, starving myself and, and with a ridiculous amount of output, but I'm curious to see where I can take my body to. And some days I feel really, really bad. Um, and that's just the body just just protesting and shutting down accordingly. The other days, you know, the next day I'm, I'm fine, which again, I tell the guys, you know, you might have a moment in time where you feel really fatigued and, and just feel really lousy, but the next day you have more energy. So I'm sort of eating, living and breathing that firsthand, which gives me that skill set to be able to coach the guys with, with better uh, specificity and finesse and be able to relate to them. So I'm sort of enjoying that challenge and the fact that it's making me a, um, arguably a more confident at my craft but yeah, that's what I'm basically doing is just playing around with energy balance, 
my intake for calorie wise is probably around 1500 calories uh, at the moment, I would say. I had three meals a day of um, white protein or um, lean uh, kangaroo meat and uh, vegetables, uh, no carbohydrates. And then as needed, I will ad hoc add a carbohydrate meal where I basically eat as many carbs as I like. But the carbohydrates, all my nutritional philosophy is all whole foods. There's nothing processed. There's no highly palatable, um, highly rewarding dopamine spiking, uh, craving inducing foods in my world. So when I do eat carbohydrates, it's rices, it might be some oats, um, but it's, it's all whole foods that interestingly, I've been in environments where I have had ice cream or chocolate or a burger for an off plan meal um, to refeed, if you will. But I've noticed the cravings this time around are far more uh, manageable. And the thing with cravings, Joey, is we either chase satiety or satisfaction. Chasing satisfaction from a meal when we're dieting hard, that's when we're um, succumb to a craving. And once we've uh, tasted said, uh, super rewarding, dopamine-driving, uh, high-sugar, high-fat food, we're going to want that food with a ferocity and uh, an unrelenting manic-like craving, potentially for most thereafter, once it's been consumed. Up until that point in time, it was just a memory. It was like, oh, I'd like some chocolate. But once we've tasted chocolate in an energy-deprived state and we get a sense of euphoria and the greatest pleasure we've ever had in our lives seemingly for an eternity. It's very, very, very hard to let that go once we've been there. So what I've been doing is just, yes, I'm going to have a refeed. It's probably about three days. I'll have a, like a high carb meal. Um, sometimes it might be a couple of days, but because I'm depleting so hard, um, it's warranted, but it's really how I'm uh, fatigued I am at that point in time and it'll be at night. So I, I you know, it helps me sleep uh, a little better, but it's all whole foods. So I don't come out of that world, um, with, uh, any residual, uh, increasing cravings or, you know, manic like behavior thinking about my next chocolate hit or, you know, or some sort of highly palatable food, um, that I, you know, that wasn't part of my world. So, you know, I've cleared the house out of anything super tasty. Uh, if, I, if I want carbs, I've got to cook up some rice uh, or some fruits out of the freezer. So, yeah, I keep – I'm practicing what I preach, but for um, good uh, reasons so I can actually coach the guys far better. So, for example, now I tell the guys, look, if you want to eat off plan, I don't recommend it, but if you do, stick to foods that are normally part of your world. That way we get a bit of a carb up. We don't um, – we get to see what you look like with some carbs in the tank. So from a competitive perspective, that makes sense. We get an increased uh, performance when we train. Um, and there's no or far less um, lingering um, cravings and, and things because you're consuming foods that you normally have. You're just – you're chasing, like I said – instead of satisfaction you're chasing satiety you're just looking for energy because you're depleted and that's sort of okay chasing satisfaction that's where it's a slippery slope in a physique preparation i'm not talking about you know the average punter who might like a little bit more variety and i'm not saying that everyone has issues with with this but a lot do and dr mike israel talks about it he calls it a taste palate reward hypothesis meaning if you taste it you want it 
If you don't taste it, you don't want it. And not wanting it is a far easier world of low calorie uh, intake to negotiate than living from cheat meal to cheat meal, which essentially is an eating disorder. And same can be said with, you know, like um, artificially sweetened, um, you know, diets, so Cokes and, and, and these types of things, they're still keeping that, that, that sense of, of highly sweet, highly palatable foods in your world. So my nutritional philosophy with the guys is to keep it all relatively bland, fueling the machine, all whole foods, unprocessed, unrefined, unrefined and because the existence, although not as exciting, is far easier to navigate when we're at the point of the things when the input uh, is really, really low and the output is really, really high. So, yeah, that was a little bit about me rambling again. Sorry I didn't let you talk, but I had a modafinil this morning. If, if anyone knows what modafinil is, it's uh, <laughs> basically a nootropic that makes you go blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Um, but that's what I'm doing at the moment. And uh, it's all in the name of science. It's not overly uh, enjoyable at times, but I do like um, pushing the, uh, the boundaries of what the body is capable of. It seems to motivate me. And like I said, it's uh, seemingly improving my skill set as a coach. And that's what I am drawn to. I eat, live, and breathe uh, physique preparation. It's um, what I really uh, am fascinated by, and I want to be the best coach I possibly could be for any athlete that does work with me. So for me, it makes perfect sense to actually experience these things uh, firsthand and actually put um, what I learn into practice so I can um, you know, uh, help the guys through, through the process and allow them to achieve their goals. What's your body weight at currently? Mate, I've come down, I was about 106. When you saw me, I was probably 100D, maybe. And now I'm, I think about, I'm not weighing myself, it's all visual. Um, scales are locked up at the gym. Um, but I was, before I really started pushing things, I was around uh, 90 odd. So I reckon I must be about 88. Um, so, yeah, I've lost about 17, 18 kilos from where I started. I started about 106 when I started dieting down. So 1,500 calories for you, that's like just for folks who maybe don't have a gauge on that, that's an incredibly small amount of food. Three meals. Um, I have about, um, about 300 grams of uh, chicken breast uh, or, or lean kangaroo meats and kale and um, salad with um, some vinegar, salt, pepper, that type of stuff. And then, like I said, um, a little bit of fruit with um, after um, the third meal in the evening. Uh, so, like low calories, strawberries, um, and then uh, yeah, and then those those carb up um, those carb up meals. Not a full day, but carb up meals as required. But that's more um, when I just feel like I'm legitimately about to die. It's like okay. I can't walk up the stairs to go to bed tonight. I probably should eat some carbohydrates and um, and not die um, on the couch. Uh, so, yeah, if you don't hear from me for a while, Joe, in your message for the next podcast, um, you yeah, know, Mr. Burns took it a little too far and there'd be some skull and, uh, skeleton sitting in front of the um, the uh, the LED um, with Netflix on in the background still probably. Well, you went out guns blazing, man. That's the main thing. Well, shredded. I mean, that's the epitome <laughs> of shredded skin and bone, uh, a skeleton. You can't get more shredded than that. Um, it's, uh, I guess, just to give listeners a bit of context, um, what what your what Rawdon's referring to there is like the energy balance piece. That's quite simple. It's like 
how much energy is coming in through food and then how much energy is going out through training and daily movement. Um, there's different right. ways you can approach that. And obviously it's been very popularized um, through social media and whatnot, but you can do cheap meals and you can follow the, if it fits your macros approach where it's like, sure. you still meet the numbers, but you can meet the numbers with junk food um, mm -hmm. and, or you can meet it with mostly good food and then a little bit of junk food, which is the cheap meal idea, or you can mm -hmm. meet it with clean, not super exciting foods like what you're talking about. Um, I, I can really resonate with that. I know that um, when I've, I did a bit of a cut uh, for a jiu-jitsu comp earlier in the year. Yep. Um, and so I was in a calorie deficit and I, you know, I, I, I allowed myself to, to sort of cheat on the weekends, but the cheat was, it wasn't really a cheat. It was like, I can grab like a low carb burger from grilled, you know, and have some sweet sure. potato chips or something like that. But um, I found that bland foods, things that I'm just not interested in right now, like say the high protein yogurt that I eat, I would have, I would look forward to that as like a treat after dinner. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have a yeah. bowl of high protein yogurt and some berries. Whereas right now I'm eating whatever I want and that is so fucking unexciting because at the yeah. moment I'm, I can have whatever I want. I can have Cocoa Pops, I can have chocolate biscuit, you know, like it just, so I totally get that. It's like if you, if you just set your, uh, set the limit and go, these foods are in, these foods are out, all of a sudden you kind of recalibrate to enjoy and almost get a little yeah, equally excited by bland things, don't you? Yeah, and it's um, that's how I like to program nutrition for a physique athlete. I don't necessarily recommend it long term. I think it's great to have a bit more variety. I think you can avoid certain um, quality uh, fibers with, with grains and cereals um, that I would typically avoid in a physique prep. But for the purpose of a physique preparation with the um, with that end goal in mind, I think it's a far uh, easier environment to navigate. Although initially abstaining from those highly palatable foods can, can cause a few uh, cravings and whatnot, but the, the, the bigger duration you have between consuming them and not the easier the process will be. And, and over time, they're just a memory. And um, yeah. And, and the reality is Joey, that we're actually not designed. Um, you think in nature where you have high sugar and high fat in any food, it's not, you have high protein, high fat, you have high sugar and fruits and whatnot, but in nature, we just don't have access to anything that's highly sweet. I mean, back in the day, maybe honey we could get to, but then that's not high fat. And these days, everything that's tasty is high fat and high sugar. So the body actually has a hard time dealing with, with that immense, immense um, flavor and, uh, you know, that, that stimulus, if you will. So it's, it's, you know, people reaching for those types of foods when they're hungry is absolutely normal. It's what the body is hardwired to do. If you're, if you miss a meal and you're hungry, well, you, your body knows that foods that are high in fat, high in sugar have a lot of calories and you need calories quick because you're starving. You haven't eaten. Great. Go for the Mars bar. So it's actually, you're not doing anything wrong. You're actually doing what is hardwired into your DNA from an evolutionary standpoint. It's just that we're not actually, um, it's at our fingertips with Uber eats and um, everywhere else, you know, every corner store has all these tasty high fat, high sugar foods that, that, that once upon a time we just didn't have access to. So it's a, um, yeah, it's a, a really interesting conversation, maybe for another time because we're out of time today, but uh, we can certainly talk about all that stuff. It's very, very fascinating. That's for sure. Man, I love it. Um, I, uh, yeah, look, let's, let's wrap it there. I've got a bunch of other questions for you, but let's, let's do it again sometime. It'd be good to get together and talk more about Absolutely. some of those ins and outs of, of the gaining piece. Um, yeah. 
did you have anything you wanted to plug today or tell people where they can join the member group? <laughs> well, you just let me coach you. And then, um, yeah, if you want to do a physique prep for a uh, professional photo shoot or a physique competition or you want to get jacked and, you know, all that type of stuff, uh, hit me up, The Dubois Method on Instagram or Facebook or Rod Dubois on Facebook. You know, say you're going to buy me a coffee. Uh, coffee is another a great love of mine. Uh, and then I'll be your friend on, on, on social media. But, yeah, just um, I'm happy to talk shop. Uh, at any point in time under the bar podcast is a podcast I do with, uh, my partner in crime, Tommy Hewitt. You might find uh, that interesting. Um, you can just check out under the bar podcast. Uh, it's on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, but we've done hundred plus episodes and lots of cool guests on there. Uh, yeah. If they want to hear more on me, just give my name, go to Google. There's lots of, uh, content out there, I think in the, uh, internet world. But no, I just really appreciate the opportunity to come on as, as always, Joey, I, I, if anyone that, that's uh, puts up with me waffling on and, and talking shop, uh, I'm, I'm humbled and grateful for the, the, the opportunity, man. It's, um, I really enjoy talking about what I do and, um, to anyone that, that listens. So hopefully you got a little bit out of it and I'd love to come back and, um, and talk, uh, I think we were going to talk about hypertrophy, but whatever. Um, yeah, so thanks, thanks for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Mate, absolutely. It's always a pleasure to catch up. And, uh, and no, I, I enjoyed, you know, going with the chat wherever it went today. I actually find the, the, the obviously find the steroid and performance enhancing piece very fascinating. Um, mate, all the best to you. Uh, you're at a good size now for me to wrestle you. So once this <laughs> lockdown's over, if you want to come down, we can jump up on the mats. That would be great. Absolutely. You can teach me how to do Dude. some bicep curls. My- Mate, I, I got the strength of Mr. Burns. You would flog, it would flog me anyway, because um, I know you are confident at your craft. But yeah, man, I, I just, yeah. I would, you'd be t- tying me up into like one of those pretzel things and uh, there'd be legs and arms and tangled up. And yeah, I'd just have to say, hell, when you would finished. <laughs> Mate, um, thank you. And um, best of luck. I hope we can, uh, we can catch up face to face soon enough. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And yeah, I hope everyone's uh, chin up during lockdown. It's uh, glass half full or half empty. And um, uh, you can certainly use this time wisely and be productive in, in lots, of, lots of aspects of your life. And one of the things that I, I do tell my, the guys that I'm involved with at the moment is to prioritize a little bit of downtime in the sun. We've had some absolutely amazing weather of late. And I guarantee 1,000% if you go sit in the sun for 15 to 20 minutes and just switch off, and not get too caught up in the lockdown pandemic world that's around us and just enjoy that moment in time, you will have the uh, headspace that will be able to handle anything thrown your way, COVID-19 or otherwise. It's um, the simple things in life you, you really start to appreciate in, in, um, in this world at this point in time. So highly, highly recommended. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. Thank you, man. All right, talk to you soon. All right, my brother. And guys, thank you. Thank you for listening. We've got links to all of Rod and stuff in the show notes if you need any of that. And obviously you can get at us, junglebrothers.com if you need any help. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Peace.